We are in Romans 5 this morning. Go ahead and just keep your place there. Uh, I'll be jumping around to a few other places to um, unpack what God is telling us in Romans 5. But there's an interesting rhythm to this chapter. It's kind of a bad news, good news. Over and over you see um, we're separated from God, reconciled. We're under God's wrath. We're forgiven. Bad news, good news. And and I appreciate that, and I think uh, that's the appropriate way to approach this passage. Because honestly, if you want to fully appreciate the good news, you must first understand the bad news. Good news is only good news if it comes on the heels of bad news. And I'll tell you right now, the, the point of this whole sermon is this. To demonstrate the seriousness of disobedience and the glory of Christ's obedience. When we disobey God, it separates us, yet Christ and his obedience has brought us the ability to be reconciled unto God. He obeyed because he is righteous. He obeyed because he is our example, and he obeyed to save us. Now, in this passage, I want you to understand that Paul is talking to believers. So if you're watching, listening this morning, and you don't know for a fact that Jesus is your Savior, or maybe you know without a doubt he isn't your Savior, I want you to understand that um, when you hear Paul talking about the effects of sin in past tense, that does not apply to you. Because outside of Christ, the effects of sin are present tense. The penalty of sin rests on your head right now. But there is good news coming, so I ask you to please listen in to what God's word has to say. I want to define the term sin. What is it? In its most basic form, sin is disobedience. God says, do not, and we do. God says, do this. And we do not. As sinners, we are driven to do whatever our flesh desires. We focus on what we want right now as opposed to what God commands. And so in Romans 5, he's talking about Adam over and over again. That Adam stood as our representative before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he disobeyed God. God said, do not eat of this tree. Any other tree, it's yours. Take it all. Enjoy. Just this one tree. Don't. Adam thought it looked pretty good, and so he did. And since then, we've all been born into sin. We cannot ignore the seriousness of sin. Are there small sins? Are there sins that are less bad? Well, in this passage, we see that there's no such thing as a small sin or a sin that is no big deal because all it took was one act of disobedience to separate Mankind from a peaceful relationship with God. Just one. Just one. Verse 6 tells us, in sin, we are ungodly. Literally, we are defined by our sin. This is not how the world defines this. You know that the more humanistic, secular view of this. They would say that man is basically good, but sometimes we do bad things. And so that uh, the murderer is not really a a bad guy. He's just gotten off track and did a bad thing. The thief, not a bad person. They're a good person that just has behaved 
badly. The Bible is very clear that the opposite is true. We murder because we are murderers to our, to our core. We steal because we are thieves in our core. We lie because we are liars at our core. We are ungodly outside of Christ. It's how we are defined. Man is not basically good. Man is rotten without Christ. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I want to read that passage again. It's just two verses, but I want you to hear the repetition there. No, no one, nobody, nothing, all. Are we good? Are we basically good? And we go astray? What does God say? As it is written, none is righteous. So you might ask, well, what about one? Well, no, not one, it says. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Let's look at verse 7 of Romans chapter 5. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse 7 answers the question of why we needed Jesus to die for us. Did Jesus die on the cross? Because he knew that if he saved you, one day you would do good things. That God just saw some untapped potential in you and said, you know what? They're worth sacrificing my life for because I think they're going to do so much good and they'll make up for all the bad they've done. Maybe um, you could think of it in terms of someone that you're willing to die for, someone that you love, someone that um, is very important in society. And so you think, you know, the bodyguard jumping in front of the, the, the bullet of the person they're protecting, some world leader or something. The Bible says, you know, yeah, maybe for a righteous or good person, someone would die, but we just heard some bad news. We are not righteous. We are not good. We are not worthy of dying for. So what Paul is doing here is setting the stage to help us understand the enormity of Christ's death. It is against human logic. Why would anyone, especially the perfect son of God, lay down, lay down their life for bad people? Why would anyone die for unrighteous people? Verse 8. This bad news is getting piled on. Verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are not good people that commit sin. We are sinners, therefore we sin. We are defined by our sin outside of Christ. So Adam stood before the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden as our representative. His one act of disobedience, just one, is the cause of all suffering in this world. Death Disease, injustice, all started with one act of disobedience. And since that day, every human is born of sinners. Every human is born a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner. We are desolate, filthy, and without any redeeming quality. 
We have no untapped potential or inner goodness that makes God want to love us. We are sinners. Bad news. Verse 9, it gets worse. Verse 9 tells us that sin brings God's wrath upon us. Verse 9 uses the word saved. That's definitely a word you hear a lot in church. Saved. Well, saved from what? Saved from God's wrath. It is because of sin that we need to be saved. We are in peril. We are dying. We need to be saved. We need to be saved by God from God. I'll say it again. We need to be saved by God from God. That might sound extreme, but the next verse tells us why. Verse 10 says, while we were enemies. Outside of Christ, we are not in a neutral position with God, and he's just watching to decide if we're good or bad. Outside of Christ, we are enemies of God. That's why we need to be saved from his wrath. We're his enemies. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship, friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In case you think it's no big deal, to live like the world around you. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. In the Old Testament, the book of Nahum, chapter 1 and verse 2, says the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. There it is again. Only God can save you from God. Verse 11, it says in Christ, we can receive reconciliation. But that's because of the bad news. The bad news is in our sin, we are estranged, alienated, separated from God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says that Adam and Eve in the garden were naked and not ashamed. This is before man sinned for the first time, before the fall. Adam and Eve, the husband and wife, the first two humans that God created, were naked and not ashamed. And this is talking about physical nakedness, but also much more than that. Because before Adam disobeyed God, he had nothing to hide. There was nothing to be ashamed of. But after Adam disobeyed, he and Eve sewed fig leaves together to hide their nakedness. Before sin, they had no awareness of their nakedness. It was nothing shameful, nothing to hide. They sinned, they covered themselves, and then they hid from the Lord in the garden. Being fully seen and known was no longer existent for Adam and Eve. That state of peace with God was gone between Adam and God and between Adam and Eve. God is holy. God is the very standard of all that is good, and sin separates us from God. Let's read verse 12. 
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sin. The penalty of sin is death, and it came through only one man, through only one sin. So we have to take sin seriously. The world doesn't do that. The world compares one sin to another and then decides which one we should worry about. But the goalposts are always moving. The standard's always changing. There are things 50 years ago that were winked at that to now, today are unacceptable. And one thing I can think of is, you go back 50, 60 years, sexual sin was really looked down upon in large part even among secular society. Yet racism was openly tolerated. Now fast forward to today, most people don't even acknowledge that there is a such thing as sexual sin. You do you, you be happy, you do what you want, but however racism, now we've decided that's bad and needs our attention. Where we get it wrong is we think we're supposed to choose. You don't choose. They are both disobedience. They are both a heart and mind that is not in sync with Christ. They are both living a life that is inconsistent with what God tells us to do, how God tells us to be. The world will pick and choose. God does not. One sin, one act of disobedience, and here we are. In verse 14, it says death, which of course we know is the penalty of sin, reigns over mankind. Think about that. That picture that's painted for us. It's a power over us. Death reigns. It looms over you. From, from Adam to Moses, when, when you see that verse 14, is, is elaborating on the previous statement that sin was in the world before the law. God gave the law through Moses, the Ten Commandments, but sin existed before God gave the law to Moses. So verse 17, you get there, and it reiterates again. One man's sin equals death reigning. What does this mean for us? Every person born is scheduled to die. Death reigns over us. We grow and develop. We peak physically. 20, 28 years old. And then you're downhill. So if I peaked at 25, what does that mean for the next 50 60 years of my life, I'm being pursued by death. It's a race. It's breathing down my neck. Death reigns over us because thanks to Adam's disobedience, we are continually moving towards death. It reigns. Verse 18, again, reiterates, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, says, by one man's sin, the many were made sinners. Every one of us here, listening, watching at home, every single one of us was born a sinner. We were born God's enemy. That's a lot of bad news. Are you ready for a little good news? All right. I am too. Adam was disobedient. The result was death as a penalty. Jesus was obedient. The result was death as a payment. 
death as a penalty, thanks to Adam. But Jesus, his death was not a penalty that we have to face. It was a penalty he paid for our sin. Death was his payment. While Adam disobeyed God and did what his flesh wanted, Jesus denied what his body wanted and obeyed the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the day before Jesus would be crucified, he was facing this brutal death on the cross. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, is recorded this prayer that Jesus prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Cup being like the wrath of God about to be poured out over him because of my sin, because of your sin. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Yours be done. Our Savior forsook his own desires and did what the Father commanded. Adam disobeyed in our behalf. Jesus obeyed in our behalf. Verse 6 says that Christ died for the ungodly. Yes, outside of Christ, you are defined by your sin. You are ungodly. Good news, Christ died for the ungodly. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2 verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Outside of Christ, we are ungodly, defined by our sin. In Christ, we are empowered to live godly lives. We don't simply choose to be good by our own power. We need God's power. Maybe the reason why you've struggled so long to turn your life around is because you've tried to do it in your own power. You don't have what it takes. You need God's power. See, your heart is sinful. That's the problem. That's the problem. We don't need Jesus to come and make some adjustments to our lives. I'm not a big fan of the terminology that's often used to tell children, ask Jesus to come into your heart. Jesus gives us a new heart. My disgusting, filthy heart is no place for the Lord, yet he has given me a new heart, a heart like his, and with that comes the power to become more like him. Verse 7 talks about how maybe for a good person, maybe for a righteous person, someone would be willing to die, but Jesus did the very opposite. Let's look at verse 8 of Romans 5. Bad news, good news. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just as Adam stood before the tree in the garden as our representative, Jesus hung on a tree, the cross, as our representative. And in Christ, we are not defined by our sin, we are defined by his righteousness. We are no longer sinners. We are saints. 
Friends, do not let anyone or anything else define you. Your political affiliation, your race, your occupation, your wealth, your lack of, your appearance, your past, what you've done, what's been done to you. Listen, these things are unworthy of defining who you are. We were just sinners, but in Christ we are now his redeemed people. We belong to him and we will be defined by the work of Christ on our behalf. Verse 9. Since therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The dictionary defines justification as the action of showing something to be right or reasonable. So when you're arguing with someone, you've been confronted about something that you've done, and you begin to say, well, I did that because... You know, if you hadn't have done this, then I wouldn't have done that. If you hadn't have said this, then I wouldn't have said that. What is that? You're trying to justify. You're trying to show that what you did was right and good because of what they did or what they said. It's fake justification. It gets you nowhere. But by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we go from having no defense before God to being justified by Christ, because in Christ we meet God's standard and we are saved from his wrath. Verse 1 of this chapter says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 of Romans chapter 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In sin we are estranged, alienated, separated, whatever other synonyms you want to use, it's true, we're distant from God, but in Christ, reconciled. The rift between God and man, the chasm of separation because of sin, has now been bridged by the cross. We can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. In the book of John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You were born a sinner, but in Christ you can be born again, spiritually born again, out of the constant threat of eternal death, instead to walk in a new life in Christ. I want to encourage you this week, today, rejoice in this reconciliation. If we had even the slightest clue of how bad our sin is, we would be able to enjoy and rejoice in what it means to be reconciled to God, to be saved from God's wrath, to be brought into his family, to be reconciled to God. You always have something to rejoice over. It doesn't matter what you face this week. Stop and think, I've been reconciled to God. 
No matter how my job goes, no matter what kind of problems I face, I have been reconciled to God. Now, if you're not a believer, you should hear this as an offer. Because by believing in Christ, your sins can be forgiven. Your shame can be washed away. And you can be reconciled to God. Think about the terminology the Bible uses. It's something that is is received, not earned. You can't earn it. You don't have what it takes. We're too bad. We're too far gone. You're You're not someone that's good and gets off track. You don't even know where the train is. All right? You're not off track. You're nowhere near being on track. We need God to bring us to himself. It's a free gift that God gives. Look at verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sin. Sin carries the death penalty. It always will. It always will. But the good news is the death penalty has been paid by Christ. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The payment, the deserved outcome of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Hear that? He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Look at verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Remember, the death penalty reigns over us. It's ever-looming, crippling darkness to consider I have not only an imminent death coming my way, there's a day I'm scheduled to die, but I will then stand before a holy and righteous God as a guilty sinner. It's like shackles. You don't have to go through life carrying that a chain around your neck. It's crippling. Death reigns over the sinner, but in Christ, the saint reigns with Jesus. Revelation 22 and verse 5, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of uh, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's you, believer. Verse, uh, uh, sorry, John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The shackles can be broken today if you turn to Christ. Romans 5, verses 15 through 17. But the free gift... Is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Before Christ, death reigns over you. In Christ, you reign over death. That's a sweet gift. In verses 15 through 17, the word grace is used three times. Free gift is used five times. It's almost like God is trying to tell us something. It's by his grace. It's a free gift, not something that we can earn. And it uses the term in that passage, abundance of grace. Get the idea of scales out of your mind, that God's weighing your, your, your actions and deciding, did you get in? Did you make the grade? You got a 71. That's not great, but you passed. You're in. That's not how it works. Salvation is not having the bare minimum to qualify for knowing God. The bare, the bare minimum to get into heaven. Grace overflows in Christ. In Christ, you get a 100. That's it. Outside of Christ, you get a zero. In Christ, you get a 100. Because we don't get to God by our own goodness, our own righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ. And even when you die as a believer, death does not reign over you. You win. You reign over death just like Jesus did when he walked out of that grave. The atheistic, humanistic view of death, it's troubling. You can run but you can't hide. It will always catch you. You can eat right, you can exercise, you can take medication, you can get checkups, but in the end, death always finds you. What a hopeless existence. I mean, that should give us as believers compassion for those that don't believe. What a hopeless existence. But this is not so for the Christian Yes, because of sin's curse, our bodies eventually wear out. Our time on this earth is finite. You are born, and one day you will die, but there's something much greater at play. Your life does not end when your body gives out, because death is not the end for the believer. The penalty of sin has been paid by our obedient Savior. One death robbed death of all its power. One death robbed death of all its power. That applies to all who believe. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 to 26. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death will die. Get it? Death will be destroyed. Look at verses 18 and 19 of Romans 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. One sin brought our condemnation. One righteous act, the cross, brought our justification. With one man's obedience, humans can be 
born again. That's what it means that the many, the many will be made righteous. That, my friends, is the power of Jesus' death. We are disobedient like our father Adam, but Jesus obeyed in his life and his death for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our obedient Savior. Thank you that we don't have to live our lives wondering about the scales. Did I mess up today? Did I lose my place? Did my score take a hit? Am I worthy? Am I not worthy? Am I headed for life? Am I headed for death? Thank you, God, that the questions are answered in Christ. We praise your name that we can be partakers in the death of death. Even when our bodies give out, you reign, and we reign with you. I ask God that if there's people watching, listening, that don't know you, this would penetrate their hearts, God. Your grace, this gift you offer, we're so messed up. We're so far from you. I pray that these people through the Spirit would see that, that there's no more wrestling and striving to get to you. It will never work. But you came to us, and you obeyed perfectly. And when you died on the cross, it paid for all of our sin. Or by putting our faith and trust in you and by repenting of our sin, we can be yours, fully reconciled, fully redeemed in your presence now and forever. Give us the power to respond according to what your spirit leads. And we pray these things in the most powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.